So I spent this weekend reading really gross, really creepy stuff. I'm talking like the epitome of burning garbage. And the reason that I did this is because I was thinking over the weekend, why are conservatives right now winning the battle against critical race theory? What what is it about this political fight in this political aspect of the culture war? Why are conservatives winning this when honestly, we haven't won a lot of culture war battles in the past? And I thought to myself, well, the reason that we're winning the fight against critical race theory is is for two reasons, really. Well, maybe two and a half reasons. But the reasons we're winning against critical race theory is because we have successfully branded critical race theory in schools as not a Republican versus Democrat issue, not a right versus left issue. It's, It's actually not so much a partisan issue in the eyes of the voters as much as it is a parent's versus racist ideology being taught to their kids. So that's the way that we have successfully branded critical race theory as parents versus the left or parents versus woke teachers or parents versus racism in schools. And because of that, it's allowed Democrat parents, liberal parents to say, wait a second, I see this and I don't like this. And I don't feel that I have some loyalty to my party to get on board with this, even though I personally don't like it. And so that's one of the reasons that we're winning against critical race theory is because we didn't just brand it as a Republican versus Democrat issue. It's a parents versus race racial indoctrination of their children issue the second the second reason is because of an understanding of what critical race theory is that it is racism it is racialism in these elementary school or middle school or high school classrooms but it's also something deeper than that it's racialized marxism and conservatives have done a really good job with critical race theory of not just saying oh this is marxism this is communism this is socialism this is evil this is you know, a disgusting ideology. We've done a really good job of actually understanding the origin of critical race theory. I did an episode almost a year ago about the origin of critical race theory in which I traced it back to its roots. I traced critical race theory all the way back to critical theory. I call that the grandfather of critical race theory. We're talking Max Horkheimer writing the thesis about critical theory at the Frankfurt School. We're talking like the Marxists in Germany and how, you know, he claimed that he claimed that traditional theory fetishized knowledge and that, you know, using critical race theory, he he posited that there was no objective truth. So this, this is what we see with critical theory. This was passed down through, you know, Antonio Gramsci. It was passed down to Herbert Marcuse. It was, you know, it was brought here to the United States. States actually by Max Horkheimer himself and his friends from the Frankfurt School who went to Columbia University. They disseminated it in the teachers' colleges at Columbia University. It was then, you know, picked up by Derek Bell and Kimberly Crenshaw, who, you know, admitted Kimberly Crenshaw, the godmother of critical race theory, admitted her own words that they are critical theorists who do race. They are trying to be so critical of institutions in the West that these institutions actually fall due to the criticism. When these institutions fall, that allows them to usher in Marxism. And we on the right have done a very good job of understanding this, understanding the origin, which gives us understanding of the strategy and the tactics that those pushing critical race theory are using, especially against our children. So you combine these two things, this branding, this this idea that critical race theory isn't right versus left, it is parents versus the left, or parents versus racism, parents versus racialized Marxism, that combined with the understanding of 
the origin of critical race theory, it being Marxist, so that when when we when we debate a leftist or when we defend this assertion that it's Marxist, that it's Marxism, we're actually correct and we we have the receipts to show it. We can we can back up our arguments with facts here. There was also when I said there were two and a half reasons that conservatives have been successful, there's also the timing issue. This wouldn't have been possible, maybe, because it's so in a sense, unbelievable. It wouldn't have been possible had parents not had a window into their children's classrooms due to Zoom school, thanks to crazy politicians and COVID lockdowns. So the timing here, which allowed parents not just to hear conservative pundits talk about it, not just to read it on reports, but to see their child, their child's classroom through Zoom, to see these curriculum handouts, made it tangible and real to parents. So two and a half reasons, branding, understanding, and timing. And so I thought to myself, this all relates, by the way, to the reading that I did this weekend. It was not about critical race theory. But I was thinking about the groomers, the groomer teachers, the groomer organizations like Disney or Planned Parenthood, the Democratic politicians who are defending groomers like Buttigieg this weekend said that the um, anti-groomer, the parental rights and education bill in Florida would actually kill kids, which is patently absurd. That certainly will not happen. Um... And I thought to myself, well, we've talked about how these groomers have a dual motivation for what they're doing. They they have a monetary incentive for grooming children into transgenderism. I mean, like the Planned Parenthoods. We I did I did an emergency episode on that, showing this pipeline from sex ed, which Planned Parenthood teaches in the schools, to either funneling young girls who engage in promiscuous sex and get pregnant to their abortion business, or um, the sex ed that encompasses transgender information, which funnels, and then these young people are funneled to Planned Parenthood's, well, business of selling transgender hormones. So um, it's monetary, but it's also ideological. And when I, when I was thinking about this, I thought, okay, okay, everything that I'm going to say today actually builds on my episode from last week, the one called Don't Say Groomer. Um, because in that episode, I said, whether it's sexual gratification that these groomer teachers are grooming children for, or whether it's political gratification from the sexual abuse, it doesn't matter. Does it matter what 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 difference does it make um, whether teachers are grooming children for sexual abuse for sexual gratification or teachers are grooming children for sexual abuse for political gratification? What difference does it make? Because the grooming of the children for sexual abuse is still happening. That is simply a fact. And this episode today builds on that because this episode will show that the straw man that Democrats floated last week, they said, oh, Republicans are trying to smear all teachers as pedophiles. They're trying to smear all LGBTQ people as pedophiles. They're trying to smear all Democrats as pedophiles. I said, listen, that's a straw man. It's when you build up an argument, exaggerate an argument so that you can shoot it down. It's a distraction. It's a a logical fallacy, a rhetorical fallacy used to distract from a more nuanced reality. And Democrats engaged in that, which is why I did the Don't Say Groomer episode to talk about the difference between sexual gratification and political gratification. It's a difference without a distinction. And that episode is part one. This episode is part two, because in this episode, I'm going to show you that, yes, political gratification is partly the goal of these groomers, but also their goal is pedophilia. They do embrace pedophilia. They actually admit this. This is going to shock people. It shocked me. It should. It is satanic, in my opinion. And I, I, I think it's honestly hard for a lot of people to believe. Just like critical race theory at the beginning, this idea that white children were being taught they're racist because of their skin color. Black children are taught they're oppressed because of their skin color. And there's nothing you can do to redeem, you, redeem yourself from this. 
That was hard to believe that that was in every school and not just an isolated incident. This, I think, is equally hard to believe. Um, a lot of people think of their local school district or their local elementary school as, you know, a teacher uh, being given an apple by a student, you know, kids learning the ABCs, playing tag on the playground at recess. And they don't realize how entirely corrupted with these ideological, even satanic agendas that the entire school system is, including your local elementary school. And with that, let's talk about what I read this weekend. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. I like Headspace because in this crazy world, we need some respite. I don't know who needs to hear this, but here you go. You deserve to feel better than you do today. And you can with Headspace. They make meditation simple. If mental health is part of your self-care plan for this year, you owe it to yourself to try Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of relaxation in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute meditation for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. You deserve to feel happier. And Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash Liz. Then you have to use my URL for this good deal. Headspace.com slash Liz for a free one-month trial. With this free one-month trial, you get access to Headspace's full library of meditation for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. So go on over. Head to headspace.com slash Liz. That's headspace.com slash Liz. Okay, so before quickly we get into what I read and the implications of what I read, I, I, I think we need to talk for a second about what exactly children are being taught in school as it relates to the transgender ideology or the transgender agenda. So in a nutshell, there, I mean, and you can, you can see the videos of a lot of these groomer teachers on TikTok, which by the way, I don't know what kind of idiot teacher, especially in the midst of this culture war, goes on TikTok and admits that they are, um, that they're, they're grooming children, admits that they are sharing with three-year-olds and four-year-olds and five-year-olds about their own sex lives, that they are gender queer witches. That's an actual Actual example, this is not hyperbole. This was a video posted by Libs of TikTok who finds these groomer teachers admitting what they are telling little children in school. Um, I'm not even talking about those examples. You can, you can watch those videos and see for yourself. They are examples of the thesis that children are being taught. But let's talk about the thesis that children are being taught. The thesis that children are being taught in school right now is they, they look at a little girl and they say, you can be a boy if you want to. They look at a little boy and they say, you can be a girl if you want to. They, they teach as young as preschool and kindergarten that there is no gender, that there is no gender binary. It's not a boy or a girl. Uh, they teach that gender is a spectrum. They teach that your gender does not correspond to biology. It corresponds only to your identity, how you feel. Are you a girl trapped in a boy's body? Are you a boy trapped in a girl's body? Do you feel like a girl today and a boy tomorrow? Are you neither? Are you both? They teach that sex is different than gender, meaning your genitalia have no bearing on your gender identity, that your DNA has no bearing on your gender identity. You can be a girl with a penis or a boy who has periods. They also teach that nothing sexual is wrong as long as there is consent involved. They, are, they reduce everything sexual merely to consent. There's nothing moral. There's nothing psychological. There's nothing practical. There's, there's nothing 
sexual that's wrong as long as it involves consent. So th- this in a nutshell, th- these are the, the fundamentals that your children are being taught right now. And these fundamentals, when I identified these fundamentals, I thought, okay, well, this is not, this is not a coincidence. This is not an isolated incident. These are, these are actually the tenets of what's called queer theory. Queer theory is, I mean, you can think of it like critical race theory, right? Critical race theory is the ideological underpinning of the lessons on white privilege, white fragility, uh, oppressors, and those oppressed, the, this hierarchy that was that was taught to children, that children were taught they were racist or not racist, and that there was nothing they could do about it. All of those lessons are, are what I call the principles of critical race theory, right? So children aren't told, this is critical race theory and this is what it teaches. They are actually taught that the principles of critical race theory are true, that the principles of critical race theory are accurate, that critical race theory is, right? So queer theory is the same. Queer theory is an ideological underpinning of the lessons the, that are being taught to children in public school right now. It's, it's, not, it's not an arbitrary group of random, crazy trans stuff that kids are being taught. It is, it is in, in an outsource. These are the principles of queer theory that are being taught to children. Again, queer theory is not being taught like, oh, this is queer theory and this is what queer theory teaches. The principles of queer theory are being taught to your children as if they are true as if they are accurate, as if they are objective reality, which, as you will see, they clearly are not. So I read the founding document of queer theory, and it was written by a a lesbian named Gail Rubin in the 1980s, and it's called Thinking Sex. And Gail Rubin's essay, it's it's a long essay, it's about a 30-page essay, called Thinking Sex is is thought of to be the founding document of queer theory. Now, there there are other... academics, I hate to call them intellectuals, but there are other academics who've written about queer theory. Um, and we'll get to those eventually, but I, I, I want to focus just on the founding document of queer theory because it's shocking, illuminating. It's out of this world to see exactly what queer theory teaches. You'll recognize a lot. You'll recognize a lot of what kids are being taught in queer theory, but you'll also see, as I saw this weekend, that what the Democrats are saying in defense of their positions, in defense of indoctrinating kids with transgender ideology, in defense of, um, in defense of their opposition of anti-groomer bills, basically them being pro-groomer, is a lie. Because they claim that, they claim, they, they make this allegation that conservatives are falsely smearing Democrats or teachers or anyone who is a proponent of transgender ideology as being a pedophile. And they say that has nothing to do with it. That's a horrible smear. There are even conservatives. We talked about this last week. There are even conservatives who are saying, don't call Democrats groomers, don't call teachers groomers, because there's not actual sexual abuse here, because there's not actual pedophiles um, involved here, which I broke it down last week. It doesn't matter if the particular teacher is grooming a child for sexual abuse for his own sexual gratification, if he's grooming the child for sexual abuse, for his political gratification, it's a difference without a distinction. But all that being said, that's all true, but let's build on that. So Gail Rubin, in Thinking Sex, I, like I said, I, I, I pulled the worst, not necessarily the worst quotes. It, it, it's actually worth reading start to finish if you have a couple of hours. It will pollute your mind, but it's very illustrative. This is what she writes. I want to read a little bit of this. She said, disputes over sexual behavior often 
become the vehicles for displacing social anxieties and discharging their attendant emotional intensity. Consequently, sexuality should be treated with special respect in times of great social stress. She says sex is always political. So what does that say? Right, right off the bat, this is the first page. This is one of the first paragraphs. She, she says, this, this founder of queer theory says that sex is always political. So sex is a political weapon. We see that. We see that these children are being indoctrinated in queer theory to beget a political agenda. And the, the woman who wrote the founding document admits this. This is, this is very telling. So this is not then about inclusion. This is not about tolerance. This is not about anti-bullying. This is not about helping children be their authentic selves. This is, this is about none of that. Sex is political. So says the founder of queer theory. Then she goes on to say, and this is, this is where it gets really twisted. She goes on to talk about this, the sexualization of children. And instead of talking about it as a negative thing, which the vast, vast, vast majority of the American public believe, she is in favor of the sexualization of children. She says, quote, the notion that sex per se is harmful to the young has been chiseled into extensive social and legal structures designed to insulate minors from sexual knowledge and experience. For over a century, no tactic for stirring up erotic hysteria has been as reliable as the appeal to protect children. The current wave of erotic terror, remember she's writing in the 1980s, has reached deepest into those areas bordered in some way, if only symbolically by the sexuality of the young. The motto of the Dade County repeal campaign was save our children from alleged homosexual recruitment. From February 1977, shortly before the Dade County vote, a sudden concern with child pornography swept the national media. In May, the Chicago Tribune ran a lurid four-day series with three-inch headlines, which claimed to expose a national vice ring organized to lure young boys into prostitution and pornography. Newspapers across the country ran similar stories, most of them worthy of the National Enquirer. So even, even this, she, this is the introductory paragraph to this. What is she doing? She is belittling child pornography. She is um, belittling child, child children being forced into prostitution. And she is advocating for the sexualization of children. And this is just the introduction. That's not even, this is not even the outright advocacy for pedophilia. She goes, although the Supreme Court has also ruled that it is a constitutional right to possess obscene materials for private use, some childhood pornography laws prohibit even the private possession of any sexual material involving minors. Like what? What? She's actually making an argument from a constitutional standpoint that someone should be allowed to have the private possession of the sexual of materials that depict the sexual abuse and torture of children. This is the woman who wrote the founding document on queer theory, the principles of queer theory being taught to your children in public school today. She's actively advocating that individuals should be able to have to possess privately in their own home child pornography. She says the laws protected by the child porn panic are all ill-conceived and misdirected. They represent far-reaching alterations in the regulation of sexual behavior and abrogate important sexual civil liberties. Oh, so now it's a civil liberty to be able to consume material in which a child is being sexually tortured and abused. This is disgusting. But hardly anyone, she writes, noticed as they swept through Congress and state legislatures, with the exception of the North American Man-Boy Love Association and American Civil Liberties Union, no one raised a peep of protest. Do you know what the North American Man-Boy Love Association is? It's a group of pedophiles. It's the lobbying organization of pedophiles. Grown men who want it to be legal for them to sexually abuse young children, young boys. The only 
organization aside from the ACLU who raised a peep about child pornography laws was pedophiles. She goes on to say, it's harder for most people to sympathize with actual boy lovers. Like communists and homosexuals in the 1950s, boy lovers are so stigmatized that it is difficult to find defenders for their civil, civil liberties, let alone for their erotic orientation. Consequently, the police have feasted on them. Local police, the FBI, and watchdog postal inspectors have joined to build a huge apparatus whose sole aim is to wipe out the community of men who love underaged youth. How disgusting is it to use the word love? The group, a community of men who love underage youth? No, 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 no. A community, no. A cohort of pedophiles, a cohort of criminals who sexually abuse children is how you describe that. Not a community of men who love underage youth. A cohort of criminals who abuse children, sexually abuse children. She writes, in 20 years or so, when some of the smoke has cleared, it will be much easier to show that these men have been the victims of a savage and undeserved witch hunt. The pedophiles are the victims of a witch hunt. The pedophiles. No thought for the children. None. The pedophiles she's defending. Look into the future, she tells us, and we'll, we'll feel better about pedophiles. A lot of people, she writes, will be embarrassed by their collaboration with this persecution, but it will be too late to do much good for those men who have spent their lives in prison. Gail Rubin, author of the founding document of queer theory, is actively advocating on behalf of pedophiles. This is so important for conservatives to understand as we wage this fight against the transgender ideology in our public schools. Exactly like we did with critical race theory, we brand this as parents versus a hideous sexual agenda, which is what it is. It's not a right versus a left issue. It's not Republican versus Democrat. It's parents protecting their children. And then secondarily, we understand the origin of what is being taught. We understand the origin of queer theory. We understand the true motivations of those who actually formulated this ideology. Defense of pedophiles in her own words. In her own words. She's not done. She's not done. She goes on to say, and remember, by the way, before I even read, remember those, those, those tenets that I said are being taught right now in school, that there's no gender binary, that there's, there's no right and wrong, that you can be who you want to be. It's all about your identity. The, these are included. The, the, I mean, this is, this is the basis of her thesis. She goes, several persistent features of thought about sex inhibit the development of such a theory. These assumptions are so pervasive in Western culture that they are rarely questioned. Thus, they tend to reappear in different political contexts, acquiring new rhetorical expressions, but reproducing fundamental axioms. One such axiom is sexual essentialism. Remember that phrase, sexual essentialism. The idea that sex is a natural force that exists prior to social life and shapes institutions. Sexual essentialism is embedded in the folk wisdoms of Western societies, which consider sex to be eternally unchanging, asocial, and transhistorical. Dominated for over a century by medicine, psychiatry, and psychology, the academic study of sex has reproduced essentialism. These fields classify sex as a property of individuals. It may reside in their hormones or in their psyche. It may also, or it may be construed as physiological or psychological, but within these ethno-scientific categories, sexuality has no history and no significant social determinants. So what, what is she arguing? So that, that bunch of mumbo-jumbo 
is literally the basis for saying that you can be how you identify, that you are not a girl because you have two X chromosomes and female genitalia and, you know, certain hormones, and you are not a boy because of those, those reverse characteristics in you. This, this is sex essentialism. She is trying to debunk the idea that there is anything inherent about sex. She's trying to destroy objective reality, right? Destroy it absolutely, completely. Just in, in, and this is, this is something. So I mentioned before that there are other scholars who have written about sex essentialism and, um, the history of sexuality, published by Michael Foucault in 1978, is one of those is one of those works of academia that really tries to debunk um, sex sex essentialism, if you will. So, if you want to read that, and I say that sort of laughing because we need to read it, but it's also absolute garbage. Um, then that's one of the works on which Gail Rubin bases her bases her works. So. Now let's let's talk about some of these other let's talk about some of these other aspects of queer theory that are being taught to your children. Now you know I'm I'm pretty crunchy, a pretty crunchy person in my personal life, which is why I like Beam Dream. Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health and lower productivity? And if you sleep less than six to seven hours per night, it's linked to reduced white blood cell count. And not many people realize this, but having a consistent nighttime routine is so important. A better tomorrow starts tonight. Introducing Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for everything from sleep to recovery. And today you get a special discount available for Beam's sleep product, Dream Powder, their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. It contains natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients, triple lab tested, no THC, and you wake up refreshed. I'm talking 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. You just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, you stir it, you enjoy it 30 minutes before bedtime. If you don't love it, we'll get your money back, guaranteed. For a limited time, you can get $20 off if you use my URL, beamorganics.com slash Liz, and use my promo code Liz at checkout. That's B-E-A-M organics.com slash Liz, beamorganics.com slash Liz, and use my promo code Liz for $20 off at checkout. Okay, so Gail Rubin goes on to um, goes on to write about the intersection, you'll notice intersectionality, the intersection of sex and race. She goes, it's impossible to think with any clarity about the politics of race or gender, gender as long as these are thought of as biological entities rather than as social constructs. Similarly, sexuality is impervious to political analysis as long as it is primarily conceived as a biological phenomenon or an aspect of individual psychology. Sexuality is as much a human product as our diets, methods of transportation, systems of etiquette, etiquette, forms of labor, types of entertainment, processes of production, and modes of oppression. Once sex is understood in terms of social analysis and historical understanding, a more realistic politics of sex becomes possible. One may think of sexual politics in terms of such phenomena as populations, neighborhoods, settlement patterns, migration, urban conflict, epidemiology, and police technology. So what does this tell us? This, this is her argument that sex is political. And if she believes that sex is political, she believes that sex is a social construct. If she believes that sex is a social construct, then she believes that children's minds can be formed to believe about sex what she wants them to believe about sex. So again, this is the queer theory that is being taught to, that is being taught to our children in public schools right now. She then goes on to create a, a diagram, if you will, a diagram talking about how um, there's a hierarchy. Remember, 
You'll, you'll notice some of these same phrases from critical race theory because ultimately, as we will conclude in a moment, queer theory is neo-Marxism, the same as critical race theory, right? Because critical race theory encompasses this idea that um, that there's those who are oppressing and those who are oppressed. And the purpose of this was to have the oppressed overthrow the oppressors to destroy the institutions, whether they're cultural institutions like the family or governmental institutions like capitalism, in order to usher in Marxism. That's why it's a neo-Marxist ideology. The same with queer theory. Queer theory is a neo-Marxist ideology that posits that sex is also hierarchical. Sex is also a system of those who oppress and those who are oppressed. And the only way to solve this dilemma that they have created is for the oppressed to throw off the oppressors. And by doing so, this will destroy cultural, social, and governmental institutions like the family, like parental rights, like the protection of children, and ultimately, liberty and freedom and capitalism. And instead of those institutions, what will we have? We will have a system of Marxism where government is at least controls if, doesn't, if government doesn't own the entire means of production and um, dictate the values and the principles that people are allowed to believe and live and teach to their children. This is why it's a neo-Marxist ideology. This is what Gail Rubin is, is talking about. This is what Gail Rubin is talking about. And, and one of the ways, so she creates this diagram. She creates this diagram showing um, the what she calls the sexual value system. And this is all part of the argument that there is no wrong sexual behavior as long as that sexual behavior is consensual. This is what she says. Figure 9.1 diagrams a general version of the sexual value system. According to the system, sexuality that is good, normal, and natural should ideally be heterosexual, marital, monogamous, reproductive, and non-commercial. It should be coupled, relational, with the same generation and occur at home. It should not involve pornography, fetish objects, sex toys of any sort, or rules other than male and female. Any sex that violates these rules is bad, abnormal, or unnatural. Bad sex may be homosexual, unmarried, promiscuous, non-procreative, or commercial. It may be mass, uh, masturbation or take place at orgies, may be casual, may cross generational lines, and may take place in public, or at least in the bushes or the baths. It may involve the use of pornography, fetish objects, sex toys, or unusual roles. Now notice this phraseology that she uses here, cross-generational encounters, or individuals who prefer cross-generational relationships. This is her way of trying to normalize pedophilia. She says, as long as children consent cross-generational encounters, she argues, um, basically, implicitly, are fine. She, she categorizes pedophiles in the same bucket that she categorizes gay men, meaning that, oh, generations in the future will understand that pedophilia is a normal sexual orientation versus the sexual abuse of children that is empirically wrong and never right. She goes on to talk about this. She also talks about adult incest laws. She talks about how adult incest laws are wrong, how adult incest laws deprive people of their right to consensual sexual relations. And she finishes by saying, you know, sexuality, like gender, is political. It is organized into systems of power which reward and encourage some individuals and activities while punishing and suppressing others, like the capitalist organization of labor and its distribution of rewards and powers, the modern sexual system has been the object of political struggle since it emerged and it has, and as it has evolved. But if the disputes between labor and capital are mystified, sexual conflicts are completely camouflaged. She's arguing to bring this to the, to the surface. So, as I said, pollutes the mind, does it not? However, it's really important for us to understand 
what she is saying, because what she is saying, she, she founded queer theory. Gail Rubin founded queer theory. She was a, a lesbian into leather bondage. She, and not just on a personal level, she founded organizations dedicated to lesbian leather bondage. And she wrote this, this, this neo-Marxist thesis on queer theory, the principles of which are basically there are four principles. This, this identity without essentialism, that children are have no gender that their identity is based on how they feel and that there's nothing essential, there's nothing fundamental, there's nothing biological about their gender. She, that, that's maybe the first foundational thing. The second is uh, transgression. The third is, is re- transgression being um, that there's, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with any sexual behavior as long as it's consensual. Resisting binaries is you know the spectrum, the gender spectrum that our children are being taught. And social construction is this idea that, that sex is political, that sex can be taught to children the way that, well, people like these neo-Marxists want it to be taught, that there is nothing inherent or trans-historical about it. These are the four the four fundamentals of queer theory. And so now go back to think about what your children are being taught. Your children are being taught that, you know, you can be little Johnny who you want to be, aka, this is really, this is really uh, essential here, that you don't know who you are. They are being taught, your children are being taught that you don't know who you are because there's nothing God-given. There's nothing unalienable about, about you that you can't tell who you are just by looking at your body. You can't tell that you're a boy because you have male genitalia. You can't tell that you're a girl because, you know, you have a uterus and ovaries that you can't. You, children are being taught that uh, you can be who you want to be and that you don't know who you are. And that's, that's so destructive because if you don't know who you are, then you have to look for an identity. And if you're looking for an identity that's not based in reality, it's based on what you feel, then you can easily be manipulated into thinking that you feel the way that rumor teachers or organizations who stand to profit or neo-Marxists who are using this in the wider strategy to take over our society want you to feel. That's why these people are groomers. Secondly, they're being taught that nothing sexual, as long as it's consensual, is wrong. This destroys the moral fiber of our nation, as we all know, and, um, and leads, leads our society down a path where childhood innocence is destroyed. Childhood innocence is, is a critical part of the family unit. It's a critical part of society. It's a critical part of the formation of right and wrong, the understanding of the reality that is around us. Now, Again, this is what your child is being taught in school. They're being taught that there's no gender, there's no binary, it's a spectrum, that it's not based on biology, it's just identity, that sex is different than gender. And it all kind of makes sense that when we see what our children are being taught and we understand that, okay, these are the principles of what? The principles of this ideological underpinning, which is queer theory. The, these, these, these principles, or not these principles, but these, this brainwashing that our children are undergoing are actually the principles of queer theory, and queer theory is neo-Marxist. Now, again, this ties into critical race theory in a very Marxist way, which, again, is really important for us to understand if we're going to destroy this. But one of my favorite things that we have in our basement is My Patriot Supply Emergency Food Kits. Friends, when the world falls apart, it's going to fall hard. This is just the beginning. That's why I want you to drop what you're doing right now and go to this website, mypatriotsupply.com. Why? Because you need to stockpile emergency food for the coming nationwide food shortages right now. Here's a sad fact. The average American family has less than a week's worth of food on hand. If that's you, well, you're very vulnerable, especially these days. So don't take chances. Go to mypatriotsupply.com to grab the food that you are going to need. 
My Patriot Supply is the nation's largest preparedness company. And to help you out, they are offering free shipping on select orders. Their emergency food kits provide breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, and snacks, giving you more than 2,000 calories a day for survival energy. To get your food now, go to mypatriotsupply.com, get a kit for each person in your family, visit mypatriotsupply.com today. That's mypatriotsupply.com. Take care of your family, mypatriotsupply.com. Okay, so critical race theory and queer theory are very similar to begin with in the sense that they're both neo-Marxist. They both teach the principles, not, not in an academic legalistic standpoint, like this is critical race theory and this is what it teaches. This is queer theory and this is what it teaches. No, they teach children the principles of their theory as if those principles are truth, as if they are objective reality, as if they are morally correct. And all of those things, they are not. They are, they are neither morally correct, nor are they objective reality, nor are they true. But they're necessary. Critical race theory and queer theory emerging in our school system at the same time is no coincidence. It's, it's a necessary, I call it a one-two punch, right? Because you, you remember that phrase that I said to hold on to, that sex essentialism. That sex essentialism. Sex essentialism is defined as, um, it's basically a mutable characteristic, right? That, you're, that your sex is your DNA. Your sex is your genitalia. Your sex is your, your reproductive organs. Your sex is your hormone levels. And all of that combined, something that you don't have control over, that this is an essential part of who you are. And this sex essentialism that queer theory tries to destroy is the same sort of essentialism that critical race theory is um, is also trying to destroy meaning. And I, I don't mean critical race theory is talking about sex. I'm just saying, I'm trying to think of how to describe this the most clear way possible. But critical race theory teaches that your identity lies not in your character, your identity lies in your immutable characteristics. So critical race theory actually teaches the opposite type of essentialism as it comes to race and character as, as queer theory does when it comes to gender and sexuality. And this is really important because one fills, one creates a hole and one fills that hole. So critical race theory is makes children feel like they are bad. They makes white children feel that they are bad in their immutable identity. And immutable identity, I mean, you, the color of their skin, right? So critical race theory makes white children feel that they are bad because the color of their skin, the white color of their skin means that they have, that they are either inherently racist themselves or that they have inherited the benefits of racism um, through generations of white supremacy benefiting that child. And there's nothing the child can do about it because it's not about their behavior. It's not about their character. It's not about um, how they treat other people. This is something that the, the child can't repent of. They can't redeem themselves from. There's nothing they can do. This, this creates a, it, it labels children as in their, by the color of their skin, telling them that that is who their identity is, that they are intrinsically tied to this identity and that the left is defining what that identity is as being racist, okay? So, and this is from, by the way, this, this racial identity is from your parents. Therefore, your parents have made you bad and there's nothing you can do about it. So critical race theory creates this hole around your identity and then queer theory comes and where, where critical race theory has dug that hole, queer theory takes a shovel and well, shovels garbage into that hole. Queer theory gives children a chance to reject the bad identity that critical race theory has laid upon them. So queer theory says, if you become queer, then you will earn victim points. You, you too can be oppressed. 
you can be marginalized instead of being the oppressor or instead of being the person who has marginalized other. You can throw off your parents' bad legacy by choosing your identity now. Your identity aside from race, your identity as it relates to your sexual identity. You can define yourself, they said, if only you embrace us, the left, the leftist ideology here. And so where critical race theory makes children feel bad about this immutable identity and there's nothing that they can do about it, queer theory comes in and says, but here's a way that you can redeem yourself. You can reject your parents and the identity that your parents and your parents' parents have given you. And you can be, instead of an oppressor, you can be oppressed too and therefore redeem yourselves in the eyes of the left. But what happens in this process is, well, children are destroyed and families are destroyed. And this is where we circle back to the beginning um, this phrase grooming, groomers. In order for critical race theory to have dug this identity hole in children and for queer theory to fill this identity hole, there, this doesn't just happen. A child doesn't just walk in a kindergarten classroom and out of the blue, a teacher says, you're a boy and you must be a radical leftist. No, no. The children must be slowly indoctrinated. They must be taught. They must be groomed to not only believe this, but believe this in their minds to the point that they would actually take action. They would allow their bodies to be mutilated. They would allow their, their bodies to be mutilated with hormones and surgery and you know the social aspect of transition to allow themselves to be abused for a political end. The political end being now these children have accepted radical leftist ideology. Now these children have rejected their parents, destroying the family unit. Now these children are ripe to be revolutionaries in the Marxist battle that these neo-Marxists are waging against us using our children as, using our children as pawns. And again, you can see now that this, this idea of political gratification from sexual abuse or sexual gratification from sexual abuse is almost one and the same. Because the founder of queer theory, the, the woman who wrote the thesis on queer theory, Gail Rubin, actively defended pedophiles. She knew that grooming children in this way would make them ripe for, ripe for abuse from actual pedophiles. And she also knew that sex is political, that she's using these children as political weapons. But th this, this is what Marxism is. This is what Marxism does. Childhood innocence, as I said before, is the pinnacle, is a pinnacle of the family. And the family unit, the nuclear family unit, is an impediment to a Marxist revolution. They are an institution that, the family unit is an institution that must be destroyed in order for the Marxist revolution to take place. And this is, the, the attack on the family is evidence. I mean, we, we see this attack feminizing men. We see the feministing of women turning them against motherhood and against men and against their femininity. We see the sexual revolution encouraged sexual promiscuity, took sex out of the confines of marriage where it belongs. We see this anti-religion assault on our culture in general, which again, destroys the family because the family essentially is, you know, is a representation of the mystical union between God and his church. Um, it's not just a secular contract, although some people use it like that. And then, of course, we see this assault on children. So it was an assault on men, assault on, on women, assault on sex, assault on religion, and then this assault on children from abortion to antinatalism to the sexualization of children and the racial, this racialism that's being thrown at children. We see this assault on children. These Marxists understand that they are using children as their, as, as their pawns in both their sexual and their political agendas. They not only understand that they're doing that, they're doing that 
deliberately. They understand what they're doing, they're doing it on purpose, and they're aiming it at our children. So if we want to defeat queer theory in schools the way that we are actively defeating critical race theory, then we need to use the same tactics. We need to brand queer theory as parents versus the transgender ideology, parents versus the idea that their child could transition in a classroom and that that the school administrators could hide them from it or that their kindergartner is being told that they can be transgender, not a Democrat versus Republican, right versus left, but parents versus the left. And then we have to understand the origin of queer theory so that when we make the accusation that this is not just tolerance, this is not inclusion, that this is an insidious ideology, a neo-Marxist ideology with a political end of toppling our country and imposing Marxism, then we have the receipts to prove this, that we can name names, we can quote quotes, we can show that the founder of queer theory advocated, lobbied for pedophiles, lobbied for adult men to be able to sexually abuse children without any consequence, without any legal accountability, and even with cultural acceptance, that the pedophilia and the Marxism are intrinsically tied together in this case, and there's simply no argument otherwise. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.